from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people, credit union ideas. I'm Adam Mertz, Associate Manager for CUNA News and Credit Union Magazine. We're joined today by John Paul Gonzalez, who kicks off our series of podcast conversations with speakers who will appear at the CUNA Governmental Affairs Conference, that's GAC for short, in February in Washington, D.C. Gonzalez gained notoriety in 2011 when the NFL's New York Giants cited his all-in message as a key motivating factor during their surprising run to a Super Bowl championship. Since that time, he has spoken about his principle of unrelenting commitment to a host of multinational businesses, sports franchises, and elite organizations such as the FBI, all while keeping his day job as a ninth grade history teacher in his hometown of Union City, New Jersey, where he runs the Hope and Future Youth Center he founded. We won't spoil Gonzalez's GAC presentation because you need to experience that in person. But in our recent phone conversation, we explored the power of his message and the circumstances in his life that drove him to go all in and achieve his goals. I have to marvel at you in terms of your time management and, and how you balance a lot of your your commitments and your responsibilities because, you know, as a guy who goes all in, um, you've got your, your fingers in a lot of different areas of life. And I'm wondering, you know, what's what's an average week like for you? <laughs> um, you know, it definitely can vary. Uh, but I would say it's it's kind of it's kind of one of those things where usually it's involved with the uh, you know with the education um, back here in Union City, and then it can depending on the week, depending on the speaking engagements that week, whether they're more local or they're more either you know definitely domestic or sometimes international. Uh, those definitely doing those, but then at the same time also being involved with the youth center after school. Um, so that's uh, you know that those are I guess kind of the three. I guess you could call not necessarily occupational, but I guess three three missional areas that I feel I want to try to you know just give my best in during those daytime hours, um, and what I feel you know constitute what it is for me to be all in. You know, I I really felt you know that's one of the things that brought me back you know from the opportunity of playing in the NBA was you know I really wanted to make an impact in my home city and in my community, and then not just not just I guess go about it kind of blindly, but really kind of trying to be strategic about what are ways that I feel are needs that could be met in my community instead of, you know, I guess, you know, looking for problems and blaming people why they're not creating solutions, but really seeing how can I be the solution um, for my for my city and for the youth that I felt so, you know, just really burdened to try to impact in everything that I do here. I've had an opportunity to hear you speak, and uh, there was a bunch of pivotal moments in your life but the one that stands out is that point that you reference of deciding, you know, hey, am I going to pursue basketball as a career or am I going to take this entirely different track uh, and go back, go back home and try to work with youth and try to make this impression on, on people? Can you take us through your decision-making experience, uh, you know, at that time and, and maybe what resonates with you so many years later about that period? It really was kind of like a, a little bit of a mentality and a philosophy shift for myself. I think, you know, I think unfortunately, most of the times when we kind of look at how we go about our lives, I know I, I was early just kind of um, sucked into this way of thinking, for lack of a better term, is a lot of times we just see things as what can I get? You know, it's uh, I remember, you know, early on you get involved in high school sports and athletics, and it's like, well, you, you want to become great an all-county player or say an all-state player because 
the goal is to get more notoriety, which will then gain you a college scholarship. You know, you, you ask any group of high school athletes, why do you want to get better at this? Nine out of 10 will raise, well, I want to play in college. And then in college, it's to get better and to be more accomplished, so possibly of playing professionally. You know, and it's, it's kind of this mentality of what can I get? What can I get? What can I get? And I'd say seeing my dad kind of model, you know, himself being involved as a free agent for the Oakland Raiders, I guess the, one of the turning points was just really seeing him when he came back and he began teaching um, ESL, English as a second language, in a high immigrant population in the town. Um, I remember going with him to a local food store one time. And more people came up to him because he had taught their son or daughter and they were thanking him for that or they had known of him for that, for his work as an educator in the community, than even for his ability to be a cornerback for the Raiders. And I guess just kind of seeing that kind of, you know, I was young, but it kind of, I guess, flipped the switch in the back of my mind that I guess I really didn't activate until I made that decision for myself um, being involved playing basketball of, wow, I mean, you can still make a great impact, and it's not necessarily about your points per game or, or your statistics or your you know, athletic achievements per se, but really the ability that instead of thinking about what you can get, it's really a focus on what you can give to others and how powerful that is and that he's more known for him giving of his time to teach these students English than he was known at any time for all the accomplishments he got, you know, playing playing a sport nothing's wrong with playing professionally and playing a sport but i think for me it was just that that shift of, of impact and shift of mentality at least for me personally how i felt i wanted to go about my life it takes a certain amount of maturity to make a decision like that and especially when you look back at what it took for you to get to that point you're not a you're not a guy who went to duke and was a one and done kind of player and was like destined for the nba you really had to work hard and come up through NCAA Division III um, to get these looks and to get this attention and, and to play this underdog card. So you had a lot invested, you and yourself at that point. How hard was that to walk away from? As you said, you've given so much. It was difficult, and it definitely was misunderstood. I mean, even today it's misunderstood. You know, a lot of people would say, hey, well, you know, if you had just maybe invested more time there, then it might have been easier for you to impact your city, you know, at a later date, you know, you might have be able to create a greater financial investment or whatever the case may be. Um, but I, I have to say that, you know, one of the, one of the things my coach taught me early is, uh, you know, kind of the old saying, he said, you know, sports doesn't build character before it reveals it first. And he would always say that to me in the sense that, you know, if you're, if you're selfish, sports are going to show how selfish you really are before it's going to build it. You know, don't think that just because you play a sport, you come to practice, you're going to be this great, you know, great person. It's going to reveal your weaknesses first, and then it's your choice whether you choose to work on them as a man as well as as a player. And so I guess that that always taught me kind of going through my college career, uh, just really what was I choosing to work on, and was I running from my weaknesses, or was I really choosing to invest and put the time into revealing what they really are. And it, it definitely was something that, you know, yes, I did invest a lot of time, but when I look back at the time I invested, it really kind of laid a blueprint in my life to say, you know what, you haven't necessarily, you know, started playing basketball at the age of six. I mean, I started sophomore year. I thought I was going to play football like my father. So I started sophomore year in high school, 
really investing a lot of time, six, seven hours a day in it. And it, I guess maybe it gave me that, that courage, if you will, to really say, you know what, if I can invest this time and this energy into this, why can't I be, you know, a great teacher for these students? You know, and then as a teacher, well, why can't I open up my own, you know, community center, which, which is now over a thousand students attending, you know, weekly? You know, it kind of gave me, I guess, this idea of if I'm able to put in the time and put in the investment and I have a genuine love and care for, for you know, my students and for this community, well, why can't I make a difference? You know, I'd say if anything, it kind of put that seed there of having to work hard through Division Three ranks, through you know going to games where it's just your parents in the stands and more people came your high school games and your college games. Kind of, I guess, gave that belief in in what I was doing that you know, hey, this is possible because if you did it at this level and you were able to get better, well, why can't you begin to do that? You know, different stages in your city and in your community. You know, your story touches on three themes that are often discussed in credit union system and credit union culture of decision-making, leadership, and vision. And you, and you highlighted a little bit of that. Uh, what did you take away from um, your decision-making? Let's start there about what course you were going to uh, you know, pursue in life. Um, what was your process? Maybe what are you most proud of in how you went about gathering information and really assessing where you stood? And, and what have you seen maybe since then in your in your uh, interactions with companies or whatnot that have either validated or, or uh, maybe made you think, oh, I wish I would have thought about this factor instead? I would say, you know, one of the things that definitely I've, at least personally, I've seen to be a successful component when it comes to decision-making is really, really targeting what is the top priority going into any situation. And I'd have to say that for me, it was, it was really value, choosing to value people. You know, at the end of the day, not forgetting what what it's truly about and, and what the true impact is. Is, is it going to be about just, um, you know, an end result of goals? I, I guess I equated a lot with the youth center that that I'm running and just that idea of, you know, that's great. You know, and we're blessed that numbers are rising in enrollment and, you know, a, a lot of a lot of students are able to find a safe place in this in this difficult community. But if we don't know their names, if we don't value them as the individuals, that they are, you know, that's what, what's the point of the numbers? And so I would say just the common theme that I've always tried to, you know, even when I first came back from Los Angeles, I wanted to work with kids so bad it really didn't matter where the kids were. And that's what led me to tutoring in the juvenile detention centers and starting the basketball teams and basketball league in jail is really, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, they, they may have made some mistakes, but them being born and their life on this planet is not a mistake. And there still is a purpose for their life. And so I guess the decision-making process has always been dictated, you know, just in at the end of the day, it's still about a person. It's still this. This is not just a employee of a company, say, if I'm speaking for, um, you know, a certain group. It's, it's they're they're a son. They're a daughter. You know, they they they're, they might be a brother or a sister. They might be a mother or a father. And to really approach them as those individuals first, more than just what they can do for an organization they may possibly work for or a team they may possibly play on. Even my work with the Giants, I always try to really approach them as, you know what, these are these are dads. You know, these are brothers. These are sons. You know, it, it's great you can catch a, a catch a hundred yards in a game and two touchdowns, but that that's not the defining principle of who you are. You know, in, in terms of vision, you saw possibility you, at, in your hometown. You saw 
what might be able to be done on behalf of these kids to make sure that um, they had opportunity in life. Take us through, give us a give us a snapshot of what your hometown is like, you know, maybe through your eyes growing up and what it is now. What's some of the challenges and what's some of the opportunities there? Yeah, you know, growing up in Union City is, you know, a diverse community, um, very high, uh, very high immigrant population. Uh, you know, my dad coming from Cuba when he was 12, you know, coming from, um, you know, the difficult situation of communism, you know, his own father being placed in political prison. So it was a, it was a very difficult, you know, time, but being able to see the opportunity, it's, a, it's also a very, uh, congested area. You know, we have about 90,000 people in one square mile. Uh, actually, most densely, uh, according to the census, is most densely populated, uh, city in all the United States. But, you know, really coming to realization that, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's really about, once again, the personal connection of family. You know, we had, uh, we just had over 300 kids try out for the basketball team at, at our high school this year. And the unfortunate fact is we can only keep 30, which means there's 270 kids that, you know, they just want to be part of a team. But if you really ask them, uh, you know, most of them, uh, they may say they have, you know, aspirations of playing in the NBA, but at the root of it, they, they just want to be part of something. They really just want to be part of a family. Because a lot of times there's a lot of those, um, you know, just, just broken, difficult situations at home. And so really seeing the vision of, well, what can I do, you know, at, in, even more than you know, being an educator to really impact this, this need in our community of family, of, of wanting to feel like I have importance, wanting to feel like I have value, even if I'm, you know, I'm not six, seven, you know, I'm not athletically gifted or talented, which is so many, where so many areas that so many of our youth and students try to find their value on these stages. And so that's why, you know, the idea of the community center arose. And unfortunately, we, don't, we didn't have any YMCA or Boys and Girls Club in our area. And so it was just the vision of giving them a place where, first and foremost, they would, they would walk in a place and just like family, people would know their name. They would know, you know, just things about them that wouldn't just be a number or wouldn't just be a scan-in card with their face that pops up, but something deeper and something more that would keep them holding on, even though they you know, they can be a place that, that can be difficult growing up, but at least a place that when they come through our doors, they know they can find hope. And you spoke about it in your presentation about how that this is an option that you're presenting because the other option to join a group might be a gang. It might be a situation that's going to lead them down the wrong path. So it, you're presenting a good option, a different option than maybe they might naturally fall into without that. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that's the, the key word there is option. You know, um, you can't, you know, interesting thing is, you know, a lot of times people, you can't force people into a lot of things, but you can definitely give them options. So, you know, when I, when I look them in the face, unfortunately, whether it's in my classroom or, you know, even more unfortunately, you know, if I'm visiting the local juvenile detention center and I see them there, you know, I say, hey, you, you know, you had an option. You know, there's this place, you know, less than, less than 10 blocks away from the school and you know we're there every day from four o'clock to nine o'clock you know you didn't have to make this choice and i think that's you know it's it's empowering in the sense of that they they feel they can have at least some control over that in an area in a time where i think they feel you know least least in control than ever you know in their lives going through adolescence and that difficult time that we all went through at least know you know i i do have options i do have the ability of people that want me people that want me to succeed but at the end of the day i do have to choose it for myself no one's going to do it for me and that's something we definitely try to really really uh you know really 
institute when they come through our, our doors is just that idea we actually use a quote for this past summer because, you know, in the summer sometimes you got a lot of idle time and, uh, you know, that can be a, that can be kind of not the best thing for, for youth of that age. Um, and so we had a, a quote that is Latin actually and it's uh, called C vis possum, uh, parabeum. And basically what it means is if you want peace, prepare for war. And not that we actually do any military drills or anything of that nature at the, uh, at the youth center. But one of the things we do try to say is, you know, hey, if you want the stability of, you know, a healthy family life, even if you didn't have one, you know, if you want that, that career or that ability to provide for your family, you know, you, you have to prepare for it. It's not going to be given to you. And the same way that, you know, our, our armed forces, they prepare for war to ensure our peace and our freedoms in our country. You know, the same way you may have to go about that with your education, with your academics, with that striving of almost being ready at any time for that opportunity. You know, so when you're presented with it, you're able to seize it because you've taken the steps to prepare properly. Um, and so that's what I always try to tell them to come in is we're just giving you an option, an opportunity. But at the end of the day, it's going to have to be your choice. How much about your mindset of um, life and, and the fact that you're dealing with a lot of kids who maybe had the cards stacked against them, um, but there is opportunity there. How much of your mindset and how you approach that is formed from your maybe your father's background, your father, your grandfather's background coming from Cuba, coming from a, you know, a closed communistic society? Uh, a lot, a lot, you know. Like I said, just, just seeing just the transition of going through a, a difficult situation like that, but at the time, never letting it, you know, I never saw, I never saw my grandfather, you know, you know steeped in, in that bitterness of, it could have just been, you know, of blame, that, that bitterness of, of, you know, just of what was done to him. He really just exemplified what it meant to, to really seize what you have in front of you and know that, you know, you're not going to be perfect at it. You're going to make mistakes, but at the same time, continue to go forward because that's a belief in who you are. I, I would use the analogy he gave me when I was young. Um, you know, both him and my father would always tell me that I need to be a shark. And I never truly realized what that meant. What, why would he always say be a shark? You know, because sharks are very prevalent in the, in the waters surrounding Cuba. But he said the amazing thing, they finally explained it to me. And they said the amazing thing about a shark is that a shark is the number one predator in the ocean. But a shark's main weapon that helps it be, it helps it be number one is its teeth. However, a shark's teeth are held in by cartilage. So a soft substance like our nose and our ears, and every time a shark bites something, the teeth in its mouth literally fall out. However, a shark doesn't just have one row of teeth like we do. It has five to seven rows of teeth. And so every time a shark loses a tooth, they explain to me, another one replaces it from a from a back row within 24 hours. And it was just that, that kind of mentality that I was raised with of, you know what, you're, you're not going to be the best at everything, but it's your mentality of who you who you're born to be that changes whether you're going to be a shark or you're settled for being a tuna fish or a dolphin for that matter. If you realize that, okay, you may have made a mistake today. You may have not did as well on a certain test or not did as well on a certain interview or, you know, when I started playing basketball at a later age, of course I was at a disadvantage being behind so many other players. But, you know, if you believe, if you have that shark mentality, you know, you're going to come back the next day. And realize, you know, I didn't fail. I just, I lost the tooth, but I get another opportunity the next day to, to stay who I am, stay true to who I was born to be. And that gets into a little bit about uh, your comment during your presentation about how um, 
all in your trademark phrase is not about perfection. It's about commitment and staying true and staying on course. And the the number one thing that stood out to me when you're applying that concept and and why you don't see people commit is that it's easier to make excuses and to hold back a little bit and to be able to blame it on, uh, well, I didn't try as hard as I could have. So therefore, um, I didn't fail. I just, you know, didn't succeed. Can you, can you speak a little bit to that, that sense of why people hold themselves back and hedge when they really need to throw themselves fully into a situation? I think it starts early. Like I said, kind of a little bit of that mentality. And I, I see it in my students. It's, it's that idea that, you know, it's, it's not an indictment on me as a failure. It's just on my effort. And I can always turn that on whenever I, I want to. You know, it's the idea of, well, it's just, it, you know, it, it's just practice. You know, it's, I wouldn't actually do that in a game. But too often, usually the way you practice does reveal how, how you play in a game, to use an athletic analogy. And I think much, much of the same thing happens in life. It's really our effort when no one's watching. You know, I think it really has to start there. It's, it's easy to be committed, you know, in, in working with the Giants, you would be crazy not to be all in, you know, one o'clock on game day on a Sunday, you know, when you got 50,000 people cheering for you, that, that's easy. To, that's easy to be committed. That's, you know, it, it would take a lot not to be committed having that much atmosphere around you, but it's really, truly a choice to be committed on, on the Mondays, on the Tuesdays. You know, it, it's often said that commitment only goes as far as convenience. Too often times that's true that people are only committed as long as it's convenient, you know, as long as it's on my way, as long as well, I was staying later anyway. It's the choices we make to inconvenience ourselves that will really determine how committed we'll be and will help us overcome that fear of failure and that fear of, of not giving our best in any given situation. Because, you know, just as a history teacher, I always try to remind my students of the greatest men and women through history. They had to give it all. You know, they, they, they gave everything they had, win or lose. You know, whether it was Abraham Lincoln losing up to eight elections or, or different individuals like even Thomas Edison, how many times he failed before creating the light bulb and just their view on what it meant to stay all in despite despite failures and despite outward perception. Because I think, you know, we're, we're beings of, uh, of self-preservation. And that's a good thing because it keeps us alive, but also we enjoy social self-preservation. You know, we never, we never want to look like we're down. We never want to seem like we're, we totally lost. And I think that can frighten us into maybe not giving our best based on outward perception and what other people are going to say about us. You've delivered this message, the all-in message, to many different organizations. Um, I'll let you rattle off some of your highlights if you'd like. But uh, how does why does your message resonate first, and and does it resonate differently with different audiences that you present it to? I've been really, really blessed and really amazed just to see you know, where it's, where it's gone, you know, whether it's been, you know, working with different, uh, different banking organizations in Hong Kong or in the Philippines and in, in the, the whole Southeast Asia, when I did a tour with organizations down there to, you know, working with, you know, Arsenal and some of the Premier League teams um, in the uh, English uh, Premier League. And I guess I'd have to say, you know, for me, it's always, it's always a joy when I see people take it as, as I believe, I want to be able to to give it in its best sense personally. You know, I always I always say it's a lifestyle. It's not just a slogan, and I, I really believe that. And I, I find that you know just, that even just always convicts me. 
at times to say, you know, is this something I'm just doing based on outward perception or because everyone's, you know, wearing a T-shirt with all in on the back of it during game day or during the, uh, you know, the promotional kickoff event for this new sales meeting? Or is it something that I'm choosing to embody, you know, as a father, you know, uh, or as a as, as a brother, as a sister? Or maybe I have an elderly parent that needs a little more care. Am I choosing to embody this even if nobody's watching? You know, even if I know I'm the one giving this effort for my family or maybe they'll never say thank you. Maybe it'll never make a, a clip. And so I'm always, it gives me great joy, like I said, you know, getting a, a text from a former Giants player who's telling me, you know, hey, uh, I, t- I attended my, my, you know, five-year-old soccer game this Saturday and I stayed the whole entire match because that, that's all in for him as a father or, you know, hearing hearing certain players say they take the chip and they put it in the middle of their house on their kitchen table because that's where they need to remember, you know, to be all in. It's easy for them to be all in on the field and on the court and on the pitch, but, you know, I, I want to remember to give that same type of effort, you know, as a husband. And that for me is, is I, I'd say, the biggest reward is knowing that, that people are taking it to that level where I think it can make the most difference, you know, individually in, in, in their families and, and in their personal goals. I feel when you do it at that level, everything else, it's kind of like that waterfall concept, I guess you will. Everything else will begin to flow naturally. You'll, you'll naturally want to give your best in work. You'll naturally want to give your best in, in other situations if you're doing that to the things that are closest to you. You famously started working with the New York Giants during a season in which they were middling and, and in danger of missing the playoffs and went on to win the Super Bowl. And your message uh, rang true to them, and and so much so that they adopted your slogan. You know, invited you to the ticker tape parade, all that kind of great stuff. And you continue to work with them to this day. Um, and, and if we're going to talk about situation where there's adversity, there's the Giants of 2017. What what are you seeing? Uh, you know, in that locker room, and and what messages are you trying to relate to these guys that would carry over to? maybe a, a business situation, a working world situation where things aren't going your way. Uh, what kind of message do you try to deliver to people to stay on course? It's definitely been a, a difficult season and definitely been a season where, you know, let's uh, let's just say things didn't go as planned. You know, things did not go as planned. Uh, but one of the things that I've just always tried to, you know, reiterate from as, as we're going through the season and as things have been difficult and sometimes each week it it can feel like it gets sometimes a little bit harder at times is, uh, you know, just, just the idea that it's, it, it's going to be tested, you know, uh, when it, when it comes to being all in, we can talk about it. And, you know, I, I allude to it during the presentation, but it's kind of the, uh, the analogy of, of the pushup, you know, going back to my, you know, days in the, uh, the NBA pre-draft workout, it said, it's the idea of at the end of the day, it's, it's what, what we choose to do that oftentimes it's the biggest thing that keeps us from being all in is ourselves. And there's a lot of out, outward circumstances that can make it really difficult. You know, being being two and twelve can make it really difficult to stay all in. You know, and when you're losing games and you know just small margins of error, but it's that it's that personal choice that you make, and it starts with yourself. And I guess the other thing that I've you know been relaying to them, and in this time is you know just the idea going back of that everything's a learning experience. You know, there's an ecological law um, that was. Uh, that was told to me is just that the idea of of just if you to look at a, almost an equation of the equation of L is greater than or equal to C and L meaning learning and C meaning change. 
And so it's kind of just that idea that, you know, we can't stop change. Change is happening all around us, and sometimes change happens for the good, and at the same time, sometimes it can happen for the bad. But are we choosing to learn at the same rate that change is happening around us? Because the things that choose to learn during change are the ones that survive. The things that choose to stop learning as change is happening around them, for good or for bad, are the ones that usually don't make it. You know, and you take examples, whether it's from ancient Rome to, to you know, the dinosaurs, if you will. Once once you stop learning, you know, there's there's a potential for you to start fading away because of the choices you made because change is inevitable. And I guess that's something I'm always trying to institute them as, hey, this is not fun, but can we learn from this? Can we can we get better from this? Because if we just tuck it in the back pocket and say, ah, it's just a bad season, then we're doomed to repeat our mistakes if we don't choose to learn from it. Well, and, and that applies in the business world these days. You look at how much technology, digitization, whatnot is changing the game for a lot of industries, including credit unions, having new competition arise. I mean, there's you can't you can't take a moment off, and you also can't get discouraged. I think is probably a message you're trying to tell people as well, right? It's it's like you said. It's it's really got to start with you know your your core values and your beliefs, kind of that vision. When it comes to being all in, I always try to encourage people to, to always make it about people, like I said in the beginning, you know, because if it's just about if it's just about numbers or just about goals, th- those things can they can be good motivators at times, but they usually don't last, especially during tough times. It's kind of the idea of if, you know, if, if someone starts a new resolution to get in shape, but then their main core of getting in shape is, well, I just want to personally look better in the mirror. Well, that, that can work and that could drive some success, but usually the percentage have, have seen that those are pretty low. But you look at the individual who, you know, has a person to work towards, whether it's they want to be around to, you know, to see their daughter, you know, to walk their daughter down the aisle or, or things of that nature. When, they're, when they start having a person as one of the, the main reasons to help them stay committed, and it's not just an idea or not just a, a goal that begins and starts with themselves, it's something bigger than themselves they're usually able to do far more than they thought they ever could imagine because it's not just about them anymore. It's about something greater. You know, in your role where you're in the classroom with uh, high school kids and dealing with uh, kids at the youth center um, and yet going, you know, interacting with the giants and, and traversing around the world and delivering messages to Fortune 500 companies and other big organizations, do you feel a little bit like Clark Kent some days? <laughs> Um, yeah, (laughs) in some, in some senses, I mean, I guess for me personally, I would say that's, that's the greatest feeling. I'm not sure if this makes much sense, but sometimes the greatest feeling in the world is to, for me personally, is is to come off the plane and besides getting to go home to my amazing one-year-old daughter and my wife is sometimes getting to come off the plane and, and go to the youth center instead of worrying about, you know, this this uh, initiative or making sure everything was just right for say, whether it was, you know, getting involved speaking with, you know, executives at ESPN or, or with Mercedes Benz, but really just to go in and play a game of chess with, you know, some, some seventh grade students that are sitting around, you know, our, our lounge area waiting to, uh, waiting to play bas- basketball next, you know, and just being able to refocus and kind of get my heart and my mind refocused on, you know what, Hey, this, this is what it's all about. You know, all those other things are amazing opportunities, and I'm so grateful for each one. For me, it, it helps me to go back to where it all started, you know, the, the youth that, that's so close to my heart and being able to 
whether it's just play a pickup game with them or, or leading a workout session um, and really getting to see them really, really want to work hard. You know, whether it's the, the student that, you know, one of the students we worked with recently um, with special needs, you know, he, he's, he's a senior in high school, but, you know, we were able to work with him and he's a, uh, he, he tied his shoes for the first time the other day at our youth center, you know, and so it's, it's little things like that, that when you see it or another student at our center, he, he started coming two years ago, but unfortunately he, um, you know, he's been diagnosed with MS and, you know, two years ago he could do 20 pull-ups in a row. He was, he was great, you know, great physical specimen. And unfortunately due through some of the difficulties of the, um, of the diagnosis, you know, he's, he's not able to do more than one push, you know, more than one pull-up or maybe five push-ups at a time, but seeing him come in every single day and say, you know what, this gives me hope. So I want to continue to be here and continue to give my best. You know, for me, it kind of grounds me and helps me remember, you know, this, this is where it started and this is where it, you know, keeps me going to keep on spreading the message. You know, and, and you present uh, the two interrelated topics, which happens to be the name of the year youth center, the hope and future youth center. And, there was a point in time where uh, you've mentioned that a credit union provided uh, you hope, your family hope, um, during, and that set you up for a future. Can you walk us back through how and when that happened to you? We had hit a difficult time. Um, you know, my parents were, were involved in the community and were involved as, as youth pastors. And unfortunately, you know, their, their income was very small um, compared to what we needed to be able to help our situation. You know, unfortunately, there was a there was a homicide that happened right in front of our house and it definitely affected, affected my family, you know, very, very dramatically. And, you know, the, the, the local bank said, well, you know, based on your income and based on this being your only means of income, um, you know, we can't provide a loan for you to come to a safer place of the city and a safer area uh, to raise your children. You know, please come back when you have more finances. And, you know, it was, it was, it was a credit union that didn't just see, my mom and dad as numbers, but chose to say, you know what, you're making a difference in this community and we honor that and we want to help you work in that and help you work through that. And they were the ones who gave us the opportunity. And it really, without them, I don't, I don't know where, what would have happened to be honest, because, you know, it was getting difficult and there was a lot of gang, you know, gang involvement in where we were staying. And, and if it, like I said, if it wasn't for the uh, credit union, understanding the impact um, of what my parents were trying to do more than just their their bank statements, um, you know, things might have ended up much differently. You know, there's a lot of credit unions that um, are very active in that space and trying to serve the underserved is kind of one of the, the phrases get, that gets tossed around. Um, what would you say to them about the payoff of being all in to serve people who were in your situation and how that might reward them uh, probably both, you know, from a business sense, but, but also from a community sense. I'd really encourage them to, to please not stop and please not stop. You know, it's, it's, it's that, it's that belief at, at the core in what I've, you know, just been had the pleasure of learning more about, about credit unions and philosophy and, and just the, the overall mission of once again, seeing people as, as, as people, and, and not just numbers, you know, I'd really encourage them not to stop because when, when people don't feel that degree of support from local, you know, local organizations, their community, you know, you can get burnt out really quick. You can get into the belief that, you know what, hey, I'm the only one as a teacher 
you know, in my family's case, as a, as a youth, you know, pastor and, and minister trying to impact our community and you know, no one, no one really cares or no one really sees the value. So maybe, maybe I need to not value this as much either, but you know, by, by them valuing that and choosing to see the value, it, it encourages those who might just be one or two phone calls away from, you know, making a decision, not wrong, but, you know, it, a decision they might have to make and, and not being able to be that support for so many in their community. And so I'm just so thankful for them. And I'll just say, please don't, don't stop, you know, believing in the, the things that are most impactful and so needed. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play.